chapter 6. Yes, please. Acts chapter 6 and verse 1. And in those days when the number of the disciples was multiplied, there arose a murmuring among the Grecians against the Hebrews because their widows were neglected in the daily ministration. Then the twelve called the multitude of disciples unto them and said, It is not reason that we should leave the word of God and serve tables. Wherefore, brethren, look ye out among, your, among you seven men of honest report, full of the Holy Ghost and wisdom, who we may appoint over this business. But we will give ourselves continually to prayer and to the ministry of the word. And the saying pleased the whole multitude, and they chose Stephen, a man full of faith, and of the Holy Ghost, and Philip, and Prochorus, and Icinar, and Timon, and Parmenas, and Nicholas, a proselyte of Antioch, whom they set before the apostles, and when they had prayed, they laid their hands on them, and the word of God increased, and the number of the disciples multiplied in Jerusalem greatly, and a great company of the priests were obedient to the faith. And Stephen, full of faith and power, did great wonders and miracles among the people. Let's pray. Father, we thank you that you brought those that are here this morning. We do pray for those that want to be here, but health has kept them from being here. We ask that you would, in this uh, number of lessons that we're teaching, give us a, a love for your church, uh, as you loved the church and gave yourself for it, that we might uh, fall in line with the teachings concerning our membership in a New Testament church. And Father, that, uh, that we could definitely see that the gates of hell cannot prevail against the forward marching and the outreach of New Testament churches. We do pray today for the literature that uh, probably arrived this week in, into the villages that we sent it to. We, we pray that it might fall in hands where it would be meet a need, that your spirit might even have gone before as it had gone before there in, in Acts chapter 8 when the eunuch was searching for answers and and Lord, that uh, it might be salt that would draw people to you. Uh, we do pray today for those who have been separated from us. Ask, Lord, that you'd continue to work in their lives and that the uh, peaceful fruit of righteousness that you've promised might come about in Jesus' name. Amen. And so we've been studying concerning the church and a good definition that I've quoted but not written out for you of what a church is 
this assembly of baptized believers organized to carry out the Lord's work. And we particularly uh, talked about the fact that it is an assembly in our first lesson, that it's not something that all saved people are a part of. When people are born again, they become members of the family of God, but not the assembly. They're baptized believers, and we get that from Acts 2.41. If you'll turn back to there, both Acts 2.41 and 1 Corinthians chapter 12, but in Acts 2.41, Peter had preached a great message, called upon them to repent there in verse 38. And then it says in verse 41, Then they that gladly received his word, implying that they were born again, receiving his word, not fighting against his word, were baptized. And the same day there were added to them about 3,000 souls. And so the adding to them, which is the New Testament church, only took place after conversion was obvious, and people were baptized. If you go over also to 1 Corinthians chapter 12 and 13, you'll see that baptism plays a role in preceding church membership. In 1 Corinthians chapter 12, I mean, let's see. Uh, chapter 12 and verse 13. For by one spirit, are we all baptized into one body, whether we be Jews or Gentiles, whether we bond or free, and have been all made to drink into that one spirit. And it tells us that that body is, in verse 27, ye, that local group of people in Corinth, was what he referred to as the body. And there's been a big uh, question about the word by. Does the word by mean the Holy Spirit did the baptizing? Or does it mean something else? Well, if you just kind of follow back, you can see that how the word by is being used in this whole passage. Uh, if, if you uh, go to like verse 8, For to one is given by the Spirit the word of wisdom, to another the word of knowledge by the same Spirit, to another, faith by the same Spirit. To another, the gifts of healing by the same Spirit. It doesn't mean that the Spirit was doing it, but it, the Spirit is leading, that he's leading them. So when we talk there in verse 13 about the baptism, it's by the leadership of the Holy Spirit that people are immersed in water and they become a member of a New Testament church. And so that's why we have this word baptized. And then, of course, believers, they that gladly received the word. Unbelievers are not uh, supposed to be in New Testament churches, although we have people that have professed Christ and are not really born again. And it exists for a reason. And the reason is to carry out the Lord's work. And uh, we'll look at that sometime in this lesson. Last week we begin to say, well, what are some marks? If I'm going to look in this world and try to find some identifying marks that would identify what the Lord is, Lord's church is like, that, that there are some that we can look to. Uh, and the first thing we looked at last week is that 
it's a, the Bible, the Word of God, is a rule of faith and practice. We don't get our, our beliefs given to us from a headquarters. We don't, they don't come from the Vatican. They don't come from Salt Lake City. Uh, but they come from the Word of God. And what we believe it should be what we practice. And so we look in the New Testament and say, well, what did they do when they come to this situation or this event? What did they practice? And, and so we follow the Bible when it comes to rules of faith and practice. The second thing, the second identifying mark is that it's congregational government. That the Bible teaches that the rule of the church, the decision making in this world is uh, done by the church united. Uh, not that God is not the head of the church, we know he's the head of the church, but we, we uh, know that God uses individual churches to uh, bring about his uh, uh, work and will in the, in the, in the present day. I think that uh, I'm going to, uh, we'll get into the handout directly, but I think uh, this guy, this lesson here, that we need to go back and add a little bit to it, back to uh, Matthew chapter 28. In Matthew chapter 28. In Matthew chapter 28, we have what is known as the Great Commission. What God has commissioned us to do, organized to carry out the Lord's work. Well, what, what does the Lord want us to do? And who is he talking to here? In Matthew chapter 28 and verse 16, then the eleven disciples went away into Galilee into a mountain where Jesus had appointed them. And so here we have the representatives of that church, the leaders in that church that the Lord had organized. And we've pointed out to you in lessons in the past that 1 Corinthians 12, 27 says that the Lord first in the church apostles whether that first is set in time or whether the first is in first in importance uh, doesn't matter. My point is that they were members of his assembly. And it says that when they saw him, they worshiped him, but some doubted. And Jesus came and spake unto them, saying, All power, all authority is given unto me in heaven and in earth. And then he speaks to this group of men. And, and he says, Go ye therefore, and teach all nations, baptizing them in the Father, the Son, and the Holy Ghost, teaching them to observe all things whatsoever I commanded you. And lo, I'm with you always, even unto the end of the world. Well, who, who, is he, who is, does this commission uh, apply to? And the word all power, that word power is is different than ability to the ability and the strength to do something but it's a word that implies the authority to do it it's a there when we look at when you look over in acts chapter acts chapter uh, one but you should you shall receive power after the holy ghost has come upon you and, and acts uh, the power there the power there 
is, is the ability. He's going to give the, the church the ability to take the gospel to the world. But in Matthew 28, the word power is a completely different word. And it's power here is authority. And so he said, all authority is given unto me. I have the right to, to be the final authority in everything pertaining to my creation. But I'm giving to you a job to do, and with that, the authority to do it. Now, when he's speaking in Acts chapter 28, there's only a couple of possibilities. Either he's speaking to the disciples, disciples alone, uh, those that are there in the mountain, or he's speaking to individuals that this down through time applies to every individual, or he's speaking to a group. Now let's just reason this out. If it was only applied to the disciples alone, then the the Great Commission died when the disciples died. It ended with them. If we're speaking to individuals, it's, it's, it's impossible. It's impossible for Brother Wilson to go into all the world and preach the gospel and at the same time uh, teaching them all things whatsoever I commanded you. When you teach someone, you have to stay there with them. And when you're going, I mean, I guess you could be like the Pied Piper and you could go throughout the world and all your disciples are going with you. But no, it it speaks in a local sense. And so it it can't just be to individuals. And we have many people today that say the commission is given to them individually. But it's not practical. It won't work. And so we, we, from reasoning and from biblical evidence, it had to be a group of people, and that group he's already identified as his church. And so the authority wasn't given to Matthew, Mark, or Luke, or John, or Peter, or uh, those in the, those 12 disciples, but it's given to an assembly of baptized believers organized to carry out the Lord's work. And so Uh, we're talking congregational government. No one person has the right to dictate what the church does. And um, that's important. Checks and balances. And and so so, uh, when when we study the New Testament church, we see uh, congregational government working hand-in-hand with leadership that the Lord has given. And so let's read here for a little bit, and then I'll probably chase a couple more rabbits. But uh, within the the world of what calls itself Christianity today, People have many different ideas about the structure of the church. 
There is much confusion on this topic. Thankfully, the Bible is clear. And so we get back to our first mark of a church, the Bible. The Church of Christ has a congregational form of government. This means that the members of the assembly have ultimate decision-making authority under the headship of the Lord Jesus Christ and with the advice of the pastor or pastors. And so God is going to lead the head, I mean the, those that are pastors, uh, and not that he's the head, but he's going to work with them. And so congregational government is not, it's not two doll rams at mating season. We got the pastor here, we got the congregation here, and we're button heads. No, congregational government is, is a dovetail. That they have the leadership of the pastorate with the membership going hand in hand to accomplish uh, the Lord's work. And so uh, I guess uh, I'm going to jump ahead, but let's go back to the text that we first read in Acts chapter 6. In Acts chapter 6 and verse 1. This is, this is the church that's just multiplying and growing rapidly in Jerusalem. People had went there for uh, uh, a Jewish uh, celebration, a Jewish ceremony, ceremonial uh, of the Jewish religion. They got saved. They hung around there. Some of the uh, those from the Grecian Jews weren't uh, being ministered to. They were hungry. There was food needed, and that that's causing problems in the church. In those days, when the number of disciples were multiplied not just additions, but multiplication, there arose a murmuring. And so people are murmuring because the widows were neglected. And the Bible gives some clear instructions in the, the letters to Timothy about how to treat widows. Then the 12, that would be the apostles, Judas being replaced, then the twelve called the multitude. And so you have the twelve, which was a leadership of the church, the pastoral side of the church, and the multitude of the disciples. And so you have both the, the leadership and the disciples here, the, the, the church. It says it's not reason that we should leave the word of God and serve tables the pastors and teachers, the, the uh, church there that was to feed the flock of God, or was the Lord had made them overseers, were having to put their energy into this need that crept up. Wherefore, brethren, he didn't say, wherefore, wherefore you other apostles, wherefore, brethren, Look ye out among you seven men of honest report, 
full of the Holy Ghost and wisdom whom we appoint over this business. And so what you see here is you see that the leadership of the church had thought this through and they're giving some guidance for the church to look at and, and selecting some men that would solve this problem. And, and uh, they say seven. Somehow they thought through this thing and they thought seven men should be able to organize this. Not that they would just uh, be the ones that did all the work, but I, I look at them more as kind of a little, you know, seven men in charge of groups of people that are meeting this need. Uh, whether, that, whether that's so or not, uh, we could argue that. But, but they says that they need to be, have an honest report that these men that you select, people would know that they're not shifty, they're not, uh, you know, they, they have honest report full of the Holy Ghost, that their life seems to be spiritual. And they're not dummies. They have some wisdom about them, that, that they can think through some things, that we may appoint over this business, that they still would, you know, keep the, uh, the apostles informed, and, and they would, but when it says that we may appoint over this business, it includes the leadership and the assembly. That we, together, we're doing this together. It's, again, it's not uh, bucking heads, but it's dovetailing together. That we may appoint over this business, but we will give ourselves continually to prayer and to the ministry of the word. And then you see that the, the, the very important words here and the saying pleased the whole multitude. How did they know that? Well, they either say, yeah, that's a good idea, or, or the pastor, the, the, the apostle said, what do you guys think? Or maybe they voted, I don't know. But the approval of the group that is called here, the multitude of the disciples, that they were in agreement. That this wasn't just pushed through by those who were in a position of leadership. But it was agreed to by the multitude. And the saying pleased the whole multitude, and they chose the ones that are named, whom they set before the apostles, and when they had prayed, they laid their hands on them, and that's not necessarily a, a ceremonial thing or even a thing in which they receive some kind of uh, Holy Spirit bolt of lightning and they become something different. No, it's just saying these people represent us. Like the laying of the hands upon the goat there's in the day of atonement that's going to be killed, that their sins were transferred to them. That, our, that, that these people are serving not as lone rangers, but they're serving as our, our representative of our church. And they're involved in this. And then look what happens. Look what happens when... when the leadership and the assembly that the doves tells together. Look what happens. Oh, something very wonderful here. And the word of God increased. And the number of the disciples multiplied in Jerusalem greatly. And a great company of the priests, this is the Jewish priests, were obedient to the faith. And so, uh, 
a very wonderful working of the New Testament church. So, uh, kind of in the middle of the first paragraph, uh, this means that the membership of the assembly have ultimate decision making authority under the headship and Lord Jesus Christ with the advice of the pastor or pastors. Also, nobody is allowed to join the church of God or remain in its membership who has not been born again and whose life does not show evidence of regeneration. Furthermore, Christ's churches are autonomous. Auto means self, an automobile, namas, law, and so they rule themselves. It's not that they're without rule because they have the Bible. Every assembly really has more of the idea of this word, independent. Every assembly is independent of every other congregation. No hierarchy tells the church what to do. Where does the Bible teach these things? Well, we'll look at it, but the... uh, New Testament church is a unit, an assembly in and of itself. And we don't have to take orders from someone else. And that can be dangerous. You know, I mean, it, that kind of creeps in uh, really gradually. The Southern Baptist Convention, who, which started out teaching the gospel and even had some principles about church, church doctrine years ago, thought, you know, the, if we'll cooperate more together, we'll get more stuff done. But you can't have cooperation and give up and surrender your autonomy. You can cooperate, and the churches in the New Testament did, but didn't surrender their autonomy. But now, all the different churches have a, a meeting in, U, in the United States, sometimes Dallas, sometimes other places, where the pastors and the representatives from churches of the Southern Baptists will come and they'll discuss, well, what should, our, what should our position be on women preachers? And they'll discuss it out and then they'll send back and give a recommendation to the churches when the, when the representatives get back to where they're going. And they'll say, and you'll say, well, where is in the Bible does, does it does it show that churches have the right to get together like that and meet together? And they say, well, in Acts chapter 15, they got together and they, and they discussed, and they discussed, you know, how should they approach circumcision? Now, here's, here's something I want you to remember. Now, listen. In Acts chapter 15, it is not a group of churches meeting. It was an issue between two churches, the church at Antioch and the church at Jerusalem, of how a person is saved. And people had been coming from Jerusalem, not sent by the Jerusalem church, but they had been coming and went down to Antioch, and they said, you guys, you guys are, yeah, it's great that you receive Christ by faith, but you need to seal that with being circumcised. Or today, in some churches, it's great that you got received Christ by faith, but you need to seal that by baptism. And so, what I'm saying here is that there's a real danger 
to be dictated to by other churches. In our first lesson on the mark of a New Testament church is that this is our handbook for rule and practice. Which puts a responsibility upon you, the multitude of the disciples. You need to be as the Bereans and search the scriptures daily to see if it's so. And, and it's not wrong to say, why are we doing this? What is the biblical principle for doing this? And not everything that the church does, uh, you know, what's the biblical principle for, for plowing the parking lot? Well, uh, it's, uh, uh, huh? <laughs> it's because it needs plowed. So, I'm, so uh, just like, just like uh, you know, the widows need to be fed. But, but uh, this should be our rule of faith and practice and, and, and not coming from headquarters. The Catholic Church the Pope speaks ex cathedra from his th Pope, speaks from the throne, and he lays down rules. The Mormon Church, the president of the Mormon Church lays down rules, and I think I've mentioned this before, but back maybe 20 years ago now, the Mormon Church, the Mormon Church wouldn't allow blacks to be in the Mormon Church. And a lawsuit was coming. And the Mormon president, in the middle of the night or middle of the day, I don't know, someplace, he got a vision from God that it was okay to have blacks in the church. No more problem, no lawsuit, all is settled. Well, I'm just simply saying that uh, we, we should follow the scripture as faith and practice. Okay, and First Peter, down in the middle, and I'm really, I'm really flying through this lesson, aren't I? <laughs> Man, already 1230. Um, 1 Peter 2, 5 and 9 refers to believers as a holy priesthood to offer up spiritual sacrifice acceptable to God by Jesus Christ. But ye are a chosen generation, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, peculiar people, that means a people of God's own, although some of the people of God's here are peculiar, probably starting from right here, that we should show forth the praises of him who hath called you out of darkness into the marvelous light. Everyone who has been born again is a spiritual sense of priest. And so if, you're, if you have been saved, whether you're a member of uh, a, a New Testament Baptist church or not, you're a priest. You can pray to your father. The, the part of being born again is a priesthood. Now, why is he bringing this up? Because there's a large, a great uh, religion of the world that says, if you're going to confess your sins, you need to go to the priest. 
that he's he's the go-between, that the priest is the one who can communicate with God. But here, it says that we're a royal priesthood, that I don't have to go to some man who is a priest in a religious organization to communicate to, to God. We have one media between God and man, and that's the man Christ Jesus. And so he tells us in Hebrews that we can boldly come to the throne of grace and obtain mercy and find grace to help in the time of need. And so you are a priest that can deal with your own sins before God. You're a priest that can pray for others before God. You're a priest that can do priestly work for the Lord and we need not priests that are men. Everyone that's been born again is in a spiritual sense a priest. He can come directly to God and offer him the sacrifice of praise, thanks, and a holy life. No believer, including church leaderships, has this position of spiritual priesthood any more than any other believer. Church membership is limited to those who are already born again and thus spiritual priests. People do not join the church to be saved, but because they're already saved. Notice the membership of the church at Corinth included them that are sanctified in Christ Jesus, called to be saints. And, and over and over, you see these uh, verses, references, are in the first part of the books. Uh, all of them are chapter 1, and Romans goes to verse 7, but 1-1, one, one, and Philippians 1-2, and it's just addressing saints that until the church was at uh, Colossae and, it, and the saints, that, that, that a New Testament church is comprised of born-again people. Those who could not testify of their conversion or so evidence of sanctification in their lives were not led into the membership. In fact, uh, Jude warns against ungodly men that crept in unawares into the congregation, men creeping unawares into the congregation so that some who already were church members stopped living a holy life or departed from the faith. The church was responsible to remove the disobedient ones from the membership role. In Matthew chapter 18, 15, the Lord Jesus explains the steps of the process. And uh, in Matthew 16, well, let's go, instead of reading here, let's go to Matthew 18, 15. Okay. The Lord's still upon the earth. And he says in Matthew 18, 15, if more of thy brother shall trespass against thee, go and tell him his fault between thee and him alone. If he shall hear thee, thou hast gained thy brother. And if he will not hear thee, then take with thee one or two more, that in the mouth of two or three witnesses every word shall be established. And if he neglect to hear them, tell unto the church, but if you neglect to hear the church, let him be unto thee as a heathen man and a publican. And so let me ask you some questions. Is Jesus, is he uh, still alive or has he died and rose again when he speaks these things? 
Hello? Still alive, absolutely. And so he's living. And so when he says, if they neglect to hear them, tell it to the church. Is that something that's real or prospective? Something that's going to be? Huh? <laughs> okay, when I say prospective, I mean in, in Matthew chapter 28 or Matthew chapter 18, was it actually there or was it going to be someplace in the future? Was there, okay, let me make it simple. Where is the church you're supposed to tell it to? Is it going to be after the book of Acts? In Acts where, where the church on the day of Pentecost receives power? Or is, it some, is there some assembly there that they could tell it to? Absolutely it's current. It wouldn't make sense if it wasn't current. Jesus started his church in his own personal ministry. It didn't start in Acts chapter 2 on the day of Pentecost. Now here's what you've got to understand. Probably 50% of Baptists and all Protestants claim that the church either began in the Old Testament or it began in Acts chapter 2 on the day of Pentecost. Now let me tell you something. If it began in Acts chapter 2, then uh, it didn't have a commission. Because the Great Commission was given in Matthew chapter 28. (laughs) And let me just be uh, a little bit uh, satirical, maybe not even that. But all of those who believe it started in Acts chapter 2 don't have a commission. And so, tell it unto the church. And then, it says here, let me, let me just... Uh, I don't got any time anyway, but moreover thy brother testifies against thee, go and tell him his fault between thee. Uh, there's some important words here. Between thee and him alone. So Chris got kind of squirrely, you know, his leg was hurting, or Christy didn't cook what he wanted, and he came over here to church and he got real smart mouth with me. And he got out of line. He hurt my feelings. And so I go over here to Brother Wilson and say, do you know what Chris Ledger did? Blah, 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 blah. And uh, later I see Chris and I say, Chris, you know, it wasn't right what she did. He said, yeah, I know it wasn't. Will you forgive me? And I said, yeah. And we hug each other. And we forget it. Not like women, they hold on to it, right? (laughs) 
Oh, I'll get in trouble for that one. <laughs> we forgive. And so, in the meantime, Brother Wilson goes and talks to Brother Hanson and said, do you know what Chris Leslie did to Pastor Humphrey? Blah, blah, blah. And then Chris goes and talks to Nate, or he goes home and talks to his family. And, and man, it's a wildfire. The word here is alone. And probably a large percentage of problems would be settled if we would just go along. And if you'd like to hear them, take two or three men with you, godly men. And so the godly men could listen to both sides and say, well, Brother Humphrey, you know, you weren't exactly right in what you did when Chris was there either. Or they could say, yeah, Chris, you were wrong. And, and then it says, and so if they neglect to hear them, the Here's what the deal is. These two or three, this is all in church government, but these two or three that go, it's demanded of them to say something. It's a matter of them to make a judgment. They don't just go there to keep their mouth shut and listen. They go there to make recommendations. Are you with me? I've been, I was burnt so many times early in my ministry because people, two or three, would go and they just sat there like bumps on a log and they would never make a decision and say, you know, this is what you need to do. And they would say, yeah, you're right. And it was settled. But if they neglect to hear them, tell it to the church. Now, um, I want you to... Oh, I still have five minutes. Uh, we're going to read down here till we get to the middle, and then we're going to read this like three times in the middle. Okay, no hierarchy tells the congregation of the Lord what to do. Only Christ is the head of the church. And so that means both the leadership and any member of the church does not dictate to the church. Leadership provides biblical guidance. They even have the right to say, you know, like, like uh, James said, you know, let's, let's encourage, let's encourage the, to not eat things strangled, not eat things with blood, because he knew that that would be offensive to the Jewish people and it might hinder trying to reach them wasn't necessarily anything a biblical principle, uh, though some of them may have some. I had not really studied that out. But uh, the, the, um, no one dictates to the church. No hierarchy tells the congregation of the Lord what to do. Uh, there's so much we could read. Uh, you know, and, and, we'll, and I'm going to probably develop some lessons on my own here, but remember uh, Diotrephes in the book of Third John, he loved to have the preeminence, which means he ruled over the rest of the church members. And he was telling them, this is what we're going to do, and what that's about is that there were visiting missionaries or visiting preachers coming through, 
and certain ones he didn't want to have staying there, and he forbid his he forbid the church members of accommodating visiting preachers. They were ruling it over others, and so each assembly is autonomous or independent. We have just learned that Matthew 18:15 teaching that when someone falls into sin, he is dealt with privately, then by two or three, and then by the congregation. If he does not repent, the church has the power to remove him. The assembly does not need to appeal to the decision of some person or group higher in authority. They don't have to call headquarters. Before expelling the sinner from its membership, it can decide on its own. And its decision is final, ratified by heaven, Matthew 18, 18 and 19, with the authority of Jesus Christ, Matthew 18, 20. Now, I want you to note this, and I want you to embrace this if it's biblical. I think it is. Whoever or whatever can control the membership of an organization has ultimate power over it. Ultimate power means he's the top power. Whoever or whatever control the membership of an organization has ultimate power over it. Does what has ultimate power over an elder that has sinned? The church does. Remember, those that sin, rebuke before all. Who has, who has the ultimate power in, in church government? It's the New Testament church. Well, now, can I really trust Mike to make a good decision? He's kind of a computer nerd, you know? Can I really trust him? Can I trust Ron? He's going around always messing with electrical wires. Maybe he got shocked too many times and his brain's addled. No, you can trust the Lord to work through his church. And in fact, there's a great deal of protection because, because Morgan sees things from a different standpoint than I would see them. I may be right here, you know, I'm right here and I see it. Man, I see it clearly. I know what they did. But it blocks me from seeing other things. And so the plan that God has created is a wonderful plan. And we don't need to depart from it. Okay? And um, I won't chase that last rabbit. All right. Keep this. And we'll go on for that. But listen, this stuff is important because... Um, there's a church that we know, that very well know, that right now the pastor is saying he has the right to appoint the next pastor. Yes. 